Basketball Society. Hello, Zen Masters, and welcome to the Triangle Pot. Man, I'm just playing. This is the Atlantic Files. You already know what it is. This is Alex Fishbein. This podcast is brought to you, or I should say presented by Basketball Society, and it is by way of the Deepish Thoughts Podcast Network. Make sure you check out both sites. So, Obviously, we are continuing the Year in Review series. We have been doing one every week now. We have already done the Brooklyn Nets. We have already done the Philadelphia 76ers. So as you can see, we're going from the bottom up in the Atlantic Division standings. So now it is on to the New York Knicks. And we're doing this one a little different because we are starting with the current offseason, what they need to do and what they uh, have done so far because... Ding dong, the witch is dead. Witch oh witch, Phil Jackson bit. I'm not gonna go that far, but Phil Jackson was fired. He had a record of 80 and 166 with a 32.5% winning percentage in his time with the Knicks. He obviously built some uh, really great teams, uh, you know, just championship contenders I thought they were going to beat the Warriors I mean they did say they had a super team let's not forget about that they apparently had a super team and I mean hey you know if if the Knicks had a super team then Cleveland must not have had a super team like LeBron was talking about you know like they 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 couldn't have had a super team if the Knicks had one because the Knicks were so much better um anyway um So, during this whole Phil Jackson tenure, their best defensive rating in a season was 107. The other two seasons were 110 or more. Um, They've always been below average in terms of the offensive rating. Uh, they they tried this project of Derek Fisher becoming the head coach. That project obviously failed within one and a half seasons, and within you know a, a couple altercations with Matt Barnes and trying to sleep with Matt Barnes. Well, now split wife. Uh, yeah, that that was that was a strange time when you really had to worry about if there was going to be a legit fight between a coach and a player when the two teams played each other that didn't see that coming so this past season they only scored about 104 points per game while giving up 108 points per game their defense was towards the bottom of the barrel uh the offense was right about in the middle of the pack the biggest anchors to this team right now are obviously the huge contracts to joakim noah Derek Rose, Courtney Lee, and of course the no trade clause that is in Carmelo's contract. Now, uh, anybody really would have given that to Melo, honestly, if they were the Knicks GM at that point in time. So I'm not really faulting Phil Jackson for any of that, but these contracts for Noah Lee and Rose, yeah, I'm definitely faulting him for that. Uh, This whole time during Phil Jackson's tenure, he really had no sense of direction. He didn't have, when you looked at the team, when you watched their drafts, when you watched their off seasons, when you watched their, if they made any trades, if they made any free agent signings, you didn't know where this team was going. You thought that they were trying to win now when they signed guys like Joakim Noah, uh, Derek Lee, and uh, Derek Rose and Courtney Lee. 
you thought you would think and then you know he goes and drafts some other like senior uh seniors out of college or he drafts some overseas guys you know like uh, Hernan Gomez or Kuzminskis uh and he puts together this team that looks like half of it is ready to rebuild and half of it is hanging on to the last thread of their career so that they can try and chase a ring. The only problem is the people chasing a ring obviously went to the wrong city and the wrong team to chase one. So <clears throat> what kind of direction is that exactly getting you? Because... As we can see, the only place that's getting you is either third or, in terms of a couple seasons ago, last in the Atlantic Division, which is also not getting you into the NBA playoffs. So, finally, Phil Jackson has been fired. He has parted ways with the Knicks. And, you know, what really... Like, I, I tried to imagine what kind of conversation was going on between him and Dolan and uh, like all I could think of is that you know uh, Phil Jackson was saying all this stuff about the triangle and then he was like talking about how like oh we got to get the seniors out of college because they're going to be more experienced and they're going to give us a, a better shot at winning and Dolan's like yeah yeah you know whatever that that sounds good to me and then while this whole thing unraveled about Phil Jackson trying to trade Porzingis and then Charles Oakley agreed that Porzingis missing his exit interview was bad. Dolan was like, wait, we can't do anything that Oakley agrees with. I'm firing you because he agreed with you, so this is all your fault. Uh, just because that's the kind of guy I feel like Dolan would be. Um, but in retrospect, that actually pleased all of the fans. Even Spike Lee posted a picture on Instagram with him, you know, praising God, saying hallelujah that Phil Jackson has been fired. And so... It is a collective sigh of relief and a collective good riddance. Now, the only weird thing about this is why would you go and fire him after the draft? I mean, you might as well have gotten somebody that you think was going to take you in a better direction in the first place. I mean, it, it shouldn't have taken this long to fire him in the first place, if we're really being honest. Right as soon as he started talking about trading Porzingis, that's when you should have been like, hey, we're pulling the plug, you're an idiot, and we need to go somewhere else with this venture for GM or president of basketball operations. Um, so, now that he's fired, they have Frank Nidalekina. Um, They add a legit, well, he seems to be a legit point guard a, a guy who will grow along with the team and the fact that he's another international player I think will also help with the team chemistry I think that guys like Porzingis Hernan Gomez Kuzminskis they will welcome him with open arms even Vujicic um if he's still on the team at that point and I think they'll be able to really show him what the NBA is like for a guy from overseas. And uh, the thing with with Nita Lakina, I love his I love his work ethic. I mean, this we saw a video of this guy really going hard and going at it, practicing in the gym the day of the draft, 
and that was like right when he flew over. And then right after the draft, he flies back and had a big-time playoff game in his uh, league overseas in France. So this guy is really, I mean... I'm excited for him. I think that he will be a good addition for the Knicks. Uh, Meanwhile, I still think they should have taken either Dennis Smith or Malik Monk. Um, I think they would have been better options for them at that at that pick at the number eight pick. Uh, Like especially a guy like Malik Monk, one who is going to really fill up the scoreboard uh, from three point, and then one who really can. I mean, he doesn't have an elite ball handling ability or anything like that. Like he, he wouldn't be the guy that you really wanted to throw into starting point guard right away. But he could be a guy that you could groom to be a combo guard and one that you could try and uh, make him be a um, shoot off the dribble kind of guy, as well as that catch and shoot guy that we already know he is. So I think Malik Monk would have been the best pick. Then I would have probably gone with Dennis Smith and then Frank Nitalakina. So. I mean, I'm not saying Frank Nidalekino is the wrong pick because I think he will turn out to be a solid player. I don't think he's going to be the most likely to be a superstar out of those three. That's really what it comes down to. Um, And then as far as free agents go for this offseason, they really have to look into younger guys to bring in. They, they, They need to start this rebuild. It has to happen. With Phil Jackson fired, whoever is coming in, they have to get a rebuild started. If it means talking Mello into trying to trade him somewhere, first off, he said there's this this rumor going around about him saying he, he would be open to, tra- to being traded to the Sixers. <laughs> Why? Um, and and I'm not saying why on Carmelo's side of things. I'm saying why would the Sixers trade for him? Uh, because they're obviously going to be asking for a lot for Melo, uh, at least like a higher first round pick. And if you're the Sixers who are building a young core that you want to grow together and get good together, why would you trade for an older guy like Melo who's getting towards the end of his career and especially hurt your future assets by trading for him? That would just be dumb. Uh, There's no sense in doing that kind of deal. I'm surprised that Melo even said he would do that, especially because the Sixers aren't like a proven product right now. We haven't seen... Uh, two of their guys hit the floor at all yet in Ben Simmons and Markel Fultz. And there are still the injury questions of Joel Embiid. So I'm I'm pretty surprised that Melo even said that, if that is true. Um, but so they, they need to find some younger guys out there and try and give them the kind of money that will bring them to New York. Like a guy like Contavious uh, Caldwell-Pope. Um somebody along those lines that is going for that second contract now that you can bring in and who someone who can actually make a difference not just a guy you can throw on the bench and be like ah he might turn out he might not uh you need somebody that really has some potential at the very least to be a rotational player um but as far as as far as free agency goes, it, the Knicks issue is really unloading contracts, not really signing new ones. Um, anyway, 
Let's get into the actual year in review now. So I split these guys up into two groups like I have the other two teams. I split them up into old guys and young guys because like I said, this team is pretty much two teams in one. It's one that's trying to compete now and trying to beat LeBron and the Warriors. That never will. And you got the young guys who will wait it out, wait till LeBron and them are towards the tail end of their career and then try and attack. So first off, I have the old guys. My grade for them, F. I usually don't give out Fs, but they get an F. A big, fat F. Um, so I wanted to take a deep dive into some of their stats here before I really get into like the thick of the semantics behind it. Um, so Carmelo Anthony averaged about 22 points per game, 5.9 rebounds per game, which is his lowest average uh for a season since the 0506 season and then he had 2.9 assists per game he had a 43.4 field goal percentage which was the third lowest in his career he had a 35.9 three point percentage only a 48.8 effective field goal percentage and a player efficiency rating of 17.9 which is his lowest since his sophomore season in the league in 0405 uh, so yeah, the fact that he had three different stat categories this year that were one of the few lowest in his entire career should show you enough that Mello had a pretty sucky year. Uh, this this was not his year. This was ridden with a bunch of drama off the court, on the court. I mean, the guy went through this whole thing with Lala on top of Phil Jackson trying to call him out every time. And he handled the whole thing with Phil Jackson with grace. He didn't come out and like throw Phil Jackson under the bus. He didn't say, he didn't speak ill on Phil Jackson's name. He came out and just said, hey, I don't know what's going on. Um, I'm here to play basketball in New York. I want to be in New York and I want to help my team win at any cost, any way possible. And really what happened is Phil Jackson just kept on being a, a teenage drama queen and trying to stir stuff up and trying to get him to waive that no trade clause while Mello took it professionally. And, you know, I, I applaud Mello in that respect, but the f matter of the fact is, or sorry, the fact of the matter is that on the court, he was pretty bad. And he was not really helping his team win. This team didn't win that much. Uh, they were only a little bit better than the Sixers. Uh, barely. I mean, we had, like we watched TJ McConnell hit a game winner over the, over the Knicks. Uh, like, right over top of Melo and Porzingis. So... They really aren't that much better than the Sixers. And that was that was the Sixers without Embiid, without Ben Simmons. Um, and not even Nerlens Noel at that point either. So there's, I mean, the, the game winner with McConnell Embiid was there, but I'm talking after that. Um, so yeah, the Mellow season was more, Mellow season you could watch more on TMZ than actually on basketball highlights is what I'm really getting at here. Uh, so Derek Rose, he had 18 points per game. That that has been his highest points per game total, you know, since the injury and everything. 
like his big injury missing all of those games the whole season. And that was promising. But then you look at assists per game where he had 4.4, which was the second lowest of his career. Uh, 3.8 rebounds per game. I mean, don't really expect Derrick Rose to get that many rebounds. He had a 47% field goal percentage, which was, that was decent. But uh, you also take into account of the fact that Derrick Rose is the guy that is driving nonstop. He's not really the guy taking that many mid-range jumpers or that many three-point jumpers. And as we can see from his three-point percentage, you probably don't want him taking three-point shots because he had a very, very ugly three-point percentage of 21.7, which is the worst of his career. He had an effective field goal percentage lower than Melo at 47.7, and a PER lower as well at 17.0. Now, as I said, it was promising to see Derrick Rose getting back to some scoring ways. Uh, It was not promising at all whatsoever to see his three-point percentage dip all the way down to 21.7. I mean, at this point in his career... I feel like he has to realize that he he's he's just not as explosive as he used to be since the injury. It's just like that that's the the reality that a lot of athletes have to deal with. Not just the professional ones, but guys who are used to competing at high levels even in a pickup basketball game. Say they go out and blow out their knee in a pickup game and they can't play anymore or when they get back to the court, you know, the the little crossover and layup isn't working as well as it used to be. That's a kind of reality you have to face as an athlete at some point. And the the quicker you realize it, the quicker you face that realization is when you start to work on other facets of your game and find other ways to be valuable. This is how guys play into their 40s. This is how Vince Carter is still playing and is still valuable to teams and people still want him on their team. This is how Dirk Nowitzki is still valuable. He is still out there getting getting buckets. Like these guys have improved their outside shots and their they are making themselves more enticing to an NBA team to sign them into the future. And that is what Derrick Rose needs to do. He needs to realize, hey, I'm not really going to get these same plays that I used to do. I'm not going to be that guy that is going to run end line to end line nonstop throughout a game and just fill in the scoreboard. This just not what's going to happen. He needs to start you know, working in his teammates. He needs to start acting like a real, uh, a true point guard in the, the fact that he can initiate the offense through other guys and not just himself. He needs to really, and I mean really, work on a three-point shot, especially with the way the NBA is going today. You need a three-point shot. Look, we, we talk about uh, uh, guys all the time that, you know, don't have three-point shots. We're like, oh, but they're they're relevant. Yeah, sure. Guys like, you know, John Wall, uh, Giannis, those guys are still relevant. But the fact of the fact is, we we look at their game and we're like, you know, why why aren't they seriously considered for an MVP? Why aren't they seriously like leading their team anywhere? Why why aren't people giving them res- the respect that they deserve in terms of? the the ranking them in the NBA in their position and it's because these other guys are better shooters 
when we look at John Wall, we love John Wall's type of game, and we love the fact that he's getting like 10, 11 assists per game. He's still getting like 24, 23 points per game. Then you see him shoot a three, and it's like, man, if he could shoot like at least 38% from three, you know how much better he would be? That's like... I mean, it's it's not exactly like it, but it's almost like taking Steph Curry and giving him a better passing game and better bas- and better court vision. Like that's that's insane because even John Wall's like obviously much more explosive than Steph Curry. But if you add a shot on that, you add so many more opportunities because you are a threat at more levels of the game and so this is what Derrick Rose has to do if he wants to keep playing uh, and and actually get some money that he thinks he deserves he needs to become a bigger threat on in more facets of the game because right now when Derrick Rose gets the ball your thought in your head as the defender as the opposing coach as the fan watching on TV is that he is going to drive and he might take a pull-up jumper in the paint or it's going to be a floater or a layup every time if he passes it it's usually in the beginning of the play and then he gets out of the way and lets someone else do the work so th- there has to be something that clicks and th- that makes him work on the other the other facets. It- there just has to be. Um, and then moving on, Joakim Noah, obviously the worst move by the Knicks, I mean, in this whole Phil Jackson tenure, gave him a fat, fat contract. Only played 46 games this season due to injury. Uh, he only had, uh, averaged five points per game, which was the second worst in his entire career. The only worst, the the only season worse than that was his rookie year, which he didn't really play all that much. Um, he had eight point eight rebounds per game. Only two seasons in his career were worse than that. Uh, two point two assists per game, under one block per game, which was his worst of his career. Again. Uh, 49% field goal percentage, obviously he's not taking that many outside shots and he didn't play that many games as well, so he's not shooting that often, especially with guys on your team like Derrick Rose, Carmelo Anthony, and now Porzingis, you're not getting many shots in the first place. Um, and then only a 43% free throw percentage. I think that went uh, like really under the radar. We talk about a bunch of guys you know, being terrible at free throws like Andre Drummond, DeAndre Jordan, uh, Dwight Howard and um you know Andre Roberson like we we talk about those guys being bad at free throws and Joakim Noah was bad I mean he had like in the in the beginning of his career he was shooting like 80 higher 70 percent from free throw and he was just awful um he had a 49 percent effective field goal percentage and then a 15.2 player efficiency rating which was the second worst of his career um there's not, I mean, there, there's just really not much to say about Joakim Noah. He's a shell of himself. It, it, it's almost hard to imagine that he was a top big man, like, while he was on the Bulls and while Derrick Rose was playing his MVP basketball. Like, it, it's really hard to imagine him again as that Defensive Player of the Year candidate. And, you know, it's just kind of sad. Um, just watching him on the court, it just, 
it, it looks like he's constantly second-guessing himself, whereas before in Chicago, you know, when he got that ball in the high post, he was usually firing off the pass, like, you know, like, real quick, uh, like, in the matter of seconds, he already knew exactly who he wanted to pass it to and where they were and where they were going and hit them with that pass, with the lead pass. But anymore, it, when he's standing at the top of the key and he's looking around, like I, I can't tell you how many times I watched a game where he got, caught that pass and literally just stood there and just looked. Just looked, looked to his right, looked down low, looked to his left, and then looked behind him. And then usually pass it back out to the top of the key because he had nowhere else to go. And it, it I don't know. I mean, you, I guess you can say it, it was also a product of how the Knicks played because, you know, Melo's not a guy that's cutting all the time. Uh, Derek Rose isn't a guy that's cutting all the time. These are guys that are really more into ISO basketball. So he doesn't see those guys cutting towards the rim, so he's not passing it. Uh, I, I guess you can say that's a byproduct of that, but it's just also the fact that Noah just kind of looked lost. It was it was weird. It, I like I I can't exactly explain the phenomenon of like what I I saw of like what looked like his thought process. It was just really strange, and I mean I, I hope Noah you know regains that confidence and gets back to where he was before because he was a dynamic player and he could really help anchor a defense but at this rate it's just lost money and a lost cause for the Knicks and then the other guy that I included in this old guy section was Courtney Lee he was probably the only bright spot of this group um he had 10.8 points per game which was his third highest in the season he had 3.4 rebounds per game, which was his second highest. He had 2.3 assists per game, which was his highest of his career. 1.1 steals per game. He shot about 45% from the field. He shot 40% from three-point. And his effective field goal percentage was 53.3. And he had a 12.1 PER. And now, uh, Phil did talk about how he wanted to keep Courtney Lee. He wanted to get more guys like Courtney Lee. Hey, I mean, if you can find them... Sure, definitely get more guys like Courtney Lee. Those are those hardworking, two-way guys that you really want on your team. Are they going to give you a championship if you have a whole team full of Courtney Lees? Probably not. Um, actually, I'm going to say definitely not because you can give me a team of 12 Courtney Lees and they still would not beat LeBron, let alone beat the Golden State Warriors. But having multiple guys like Courtney Lee is never a bad thing and you know Courtney Lee played himself he should have played himself onto a, a for sure roster spot and it's definite that if the Knicks were going to release him or shop him other teams would definitely be inquiring for his services and so hats off to Courtney Lee you're the only quote-unquote old guy on the Knicks that really played well and was a bright spot for this team. Claps to you. Claps to you. All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, let's move on to the second group, the young guys. I gave them a C. Porzingis, obviously the biggest bright spot of the entire team, let alone the young guys. Um, only played 66 games this season, which was down from last season. Uh, he did battle some injuries here and there. 
And, you know, that'll be something to look at going forward to make sure he's not that kind of injury bug type of player. Uh, like we always say, of um, the best ability is availability. So definitely something to look for going forward. He averaged eight, about 18 points per game, seven rebounds per game. So that was up by four points and then right around the same rebounds as last season, his rookie season. He had 1.5 assists per game, two blocks per game, shot about 45% from the floor, and almost 36% from three. He shot 50.7 effective field goal percentage, and he had a 17.4 PER. So, (coughs) Porzingis is obviously the guy they have to build around for this team. We all know that. Knicks fans know it. NBA fans know it. Casual fans know it. The league knows it. Phil Jackson also knows it, but he's going to act like he doesn't for some reason. And Dolan knows it. So, when a guy like Porzingis misses his exit interview and says it's because of how this team is run, that's your cue, Dolan. And whoever else is helping call the shots for the Knicks, I mean, it probably isn't anybody else. It's probably just him. That's your cue that something had to have changed at that instant. But, you know, I I, guess, I, I can't say too much because you did actually fire him. So, <coughs> so you know, at least you did that much. So... I mean, Porzingis is a is a very fun player to watch. He's a threat from the outside, so guys have to respect that. And then he can put the ball on the floor and still get you a, a dunk after pump faking from the three-point line. Like, like everyone calls him the unicorn. Like, th- there's a reason for that. Like, this guy does things that you don't see seven-footers usually do. And the fact that he is still improving, the fact that he improved upon his his scoring output, his blocks, um, he improved on his shooting percentages, the fact that he's improving is a great sign. I mean, yes, it's only it was only a second season, but it's still a great sign. And on top of that, he is a great teammate. Like, we're talking about a guy that was supporting Carmelo through this whole thing while, like, almost all the fans and everybody was like, dude, just wave your no-trade clause and get traded. Like, and, and Phil Jackson was doing all this drama stuff, and and all these things were going on, and Porzingis was always behind Carmelo. In case you guys, like, didn't realize that. Like, he was always the guy supporting Carmelo. And on top of that, missed his exit interview to... Make that statement that this team is being run poorly. So that's not just that's not just like on his side of things that are being run poorly. He was standing up for Carmelo. And that's the kind of guy that you would love to play with. That's the kind of guy that you would love to play for as like him being the leader. That that's the the feel good story that like, hey, I would like to go play with that guy someday because I know he's going to have my back. So I think Porzingis showed us a lot in terms of improvement, in terms of leadership, and in terms of maturing. And it's really only getting better from what it looks like. 
So the next was Hernan Gomez. He made the all-rookie first team. Personally, I'm not sure if he really deserved that. I personally think Jamal Murray should have been in there. But hey, he got voted in. Can't switch it now. He made all-rookie first team, which is a great accomplishment. Um, He averaged 8.2 points per game, 7 rebounds per game, 1.3 assists per game, almost a block per game. And then 52.9 field goal percentage. And he only played about 18 minutes per game. And he started 22 games, which was near the end of the season. Because, you know, they started throwing in the younger guys, letting them start, and getting them that experience. And one thing I thought was kind of interesting, he had a higher PER than all of the guys I just mentioned before. He has a 19.0 PER. So it was higher than than Porzingis, higher than Courtney Lee, higher than Joakim Noah, than Derrick Rose, than Carmelo. And on top of that, he had a 13.8 offensive rebound percentage. So out of all the offensive rebounds, offensive rebound opportunities he had, he was grabbing 13.8%. And to give you like a look, a uh, kind of comparison, first place in the league when qualifying for the minutes played leaderboard, Drummond led the league with 15.1%. If Hernan Gomez was in that leaderboard, it would enter him into fifth in the entire league. Above Rudy Gobert. And Rudy Gobert is a damn good rebounder, mind you. So that that is a stat there that I think is very valuable, especially for a big man and especially for this Knicks team. When you have a 7-footer in Porzingis who is a decent rebounder, and then you have Hernan Gomez who you could put at power forward, who is also grabbing 7 rebounds a game, with, like, even less than half of the minutes played than Porzingis. So this is a team who potentially could be very scary on the boards if Hernan Gomez continues to play this way and if they continue to give him more minutes as time goes on. Now, would I start Hernan Gomez, like, for the long term? Probably not. I feel like they would need him... As a guy coming off the bench, as like a sixth man, seventh man, one of the guys to really, you know, give them that relief on the boards when they need it the most. But I don't think it would be necessarily a bad decision to start him either. So they they have some flexibility with it. Um, and then the other two for the young guys, I have Ron Baker and then Kuzminskis. Ron Baker played about 16 and a half minutes per game. He played 52 of the games this season. Started 13 of them. Um, I mean, his shooting was... <laughs> um, his shooting was poor. Very poor. He, he averaged 4.1 points per game. 1.9 rebounds per game. 2 assists per game. Only shot 37 37.8% from the floor. And 26.7% from 3-point. He, I mean, it, it's hard to get a rhythm when you're not playing often. And there are many times where, like, he would play one in the beginning of the season where he would play one game here, 
not play another game for like another week or two and then be entered into another game at garbage time. It's really hard to get a rhythm that way. Um, I mean, obviously later on in the season when they started playing the younger guys more, Baker looked to have some more promise. He, you know, they, they had him playing more point guard and he was actually showing that he could initiate an offense and really get guys going. And that, that was really good for his prospects of staying with the team and really a, a promising uh, outlook to show that they'll really give him a chance, at least one more chance for one more season, to see exactly what he can bring to the team. And then Kuzminskis, uh, he was a spark plug off the bench, a guy that could come in and give you some offense. Um, he averaged 6.3 points per game uh, and almost two rebounds per game. Shot almost 43% from the floor, 32% from three-point for a 50.1 effective field goal percentage. He had a 12.4 PER. He did play in 68 of the games, so he played in a, a, in most of them um, <clears throat> and started five of them. Only played about 15 minutes per game. So he was along the same lines as Ron Baker. There were times where you know you didn't see him for a while or you only saw him in garbage time like strictly for like a month or so. Uh, but the, he had his games where he came in and hit big threes and hit, you know, a lot of them in one game or in one, one half. And he was a big part of, you know, reviving a Knicks run during, during a game, or he came in and, you know, kind of drugged the rest of the team out of the dumpster and, and gave them a little bit of life He's a guy that I think it, they should definitely give some uh, some more playing time to just to see exactly, like, can he give you a consistent shooting clip with more minutes? That would be something I would be looking for in this coming season. And I think he can. I mean, it looks like he has the tools to do so. So the young guys, you know, they're promising for the Knicks. It's just you got to unload a lot of people here to really be promising as time goes on. That's just all it is. And for my overall grade for the Knicks, I gave them an F+. I give them a plus, honestly, because of the firing of Phil Jackson, and that's not even like the year in review because that was this offseason. But we're going to count it. Hey, hate me for it, okay? Anyway, thank you guys for watching another I'm, you didn't even watch this. You listened to this, didn't you? Yeah, you did. So thank you for listening to another episode of The Atlantic Files by way of Basketball Society, and we are part of the Deepish Thoughts Podcast Network. Make sure you check out basketballsocietyonline.com. We have tons and tons of content coming to you guys. We have been, I mean, we've been firing out content. So we have everything from high school to college to NBA to WNBA to the basketball tournament to the big three. We have everything on there. We have even coaching stuff, and you can come sign up for training with Basketball Society. And, and, I mean, don't tell anyone I'm telling you this, but we uh, we might have some merchandise, some Basketball Society merchandise on its way as well. So definitely keep your eyes on our website. There might be a store coming. And as well, check out DeepishThoughts.com. Uh, they are the ones that are, you know, graceful enough to 
give us the time of day to be in their network. A great network with tons and tons of great content uh, podcast-wise. So definitely check them out as well. Thank you guys for listening, and I will catch you guys next week. Peace!